Hey, Keystoners, welcome back to Keystone State of Mind. It's me, Steph, your tour guide to the dark side of Pennsylvania. I have to start out this week's show by fangirling a little bit. Charlie, the host of Crime Lines, which is one of my very favorite podcasts, gave KSOM a shout out in her show this week. Thank you so much, Charlie. It made my day. Actually, it probably made my week. I think listeners of KSOM would really like Crime Lines. It's a true crime podcast, and Charlie has some really unique insights into the stories she covers, so I definitely recommend checking that out. And while we're on the subject of podcast recommendations... Keystoner Chris Wood has just put out his very own podcast. It's called Weird Candy, and there are two episodes out already. I had the privilege to preview these episodes before they went live, and they're awesome. Chris's first two episodes cover the Murfreesboro Mud Monster and The Rake two monstrous creatures from legend and lore. So I definitely recommend checking out Weird Candy. Great job, Chris. You're going to do awesome. I still don't have the website up and running. I'm trying to learn how to build one and it's taken some time. So the best way to reach me right now is at Keystone State of Mind the Pod at gmail.com or through the Keystone State of Mind Facebook page. If you guys want to reach out, if you have any thoughts, questions, ideas, I'd love to hear them. Also, make sure you go join the KSOM Keystoners Facebook group if you haven't already. I've gotten quite a few new members in the last week or so. I'm super jazzed. I am going to take a second to beg for ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. It's been a while since I've had a new review, and they help the show so much. They help KSOM to grow and help new people to be introduced to the show. So if you have an iPhone and you use Apple Podcasts, I would so appreciate it if you would go leave me a five-star rating and a positive review. Yeah, that's a big ask coming from a podcast host who hasn't put a new episode out in three weeks. Yeah, I know. One of these days I'm going to get my shit together, guys, but just not today. I do have another great story for you, though. So let's get into it. But first, let's get into a Keystone State of Mind. As always, I'll be enjoying an ice cold can of Keystone Light. And I treated myself to some tall boys today. So look out, bitches. Just after midnight on April 29th, 1997, 34-year-old Craig Rabinowitz called 911 to report that he had just found his wife, Stephanie, unconscious in the bathtub. He had been in his bedroom watching a hockey game 
when he realized that his wife had been in the bathtub for quite a while, so he went in to check on her. What he found was his wife submerged underwater, not breathing and blue. Craig told the 911 operator that he didn't know how this could have happened. He heard a thud a little while earlier, but he had thought that was just a shampoo bottle falling. He wished he had come to check on her sooner. At first glance, this looked like a horrible accident. 29-year-old Stephanie Rabinowitz must have slipped and hit her head and drowned in the bathtub. By all appearances, the couple lived an idyllic life in an upscale suburb of Philadelphia. They'd been together for 14 years, married for seven. They had a one-year-old daughter. Both had great careers and they were so happy together. But when the investigation looked closer into the secret life of Craig Rabinowitz, it was revealed that all of this was a facade. Let's go back to 1983, when Craig Rabinowitz first met Stephanie Newman. They were both camp counselors at neighboring summer camps in the Philadelphia area. Stephanie was 16 and Craig was 20. Stephanie was a sophomore in high school and Craig was an undergrad at Temple University. They both came from observant Jewish families and they had a lot in common. They clicked right away. Their friendship grew throughout the summer and by the fall of 1983, they were dating. After their first date, Stephanie was having some reservations. She wasn't sure if she wanted to take that next step and go on a second date with him. But her mother kind of talked her into it. He was a nice Jewish boy. Even though he was really a Jewish man, he was 20 and she was 16. But it's the 80s. It's a different time. So Stephanie kept that second date, and that was really when she fell for him. And she fell head over heels for Craig Rabinowitz. They dated for seven years and then got married in 1990. And although Stephanie was in a committed relationship this whole time, she also really stayed committed to her studies. After high school, she went on to Bryn Mawr College, where she majored in political science. And for grad school, she went to Temple University to study law. Stephanie passed her bar exams on the first try and became an attorney with a prestigious law firm in Philadelphia. Craig did not stay so committed to his studies. He dropped out of Temple and kind of had a string of like menial jobs. This is the point in the story where you're really going to start to hate this fucking guy. He is a complete tool bag. Spoiler alert, he's the bad guy in the story. 
Craig was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His family was somewhat wealthy. His dad was a bigwig in the BVD clothing manufacturing company. Really, that's underwear. His dad was a bigwig in underwear, but whatever. Not judging. Craig never really had to work for anything in his life. He was an average student at best. And he considered himself to be a jack. He was really into sports. But he wasn't really that great at sports either. Craig was described as being quite pretentious. He demanded the very best out of life, but he didn't really work hard for it. Stephanie was totally opposite in this regard. She had a very strong work ethic and was not at all pretentious. She appreciated the simple things and just wanted to live a happy life. She didn't need anything flashy. She was described as wearing costume jewelry, except for her family heirlooms that had been passed down to her. She didn't drive a flashy car or need anything too exciting. Where Craig was all about appearances. Sometime in the mid-90s, Craig did make an attempt to further his professional self. He and his friend, also named Craig, started a company called C&C Vending. The two Craigs supplied latex gloves to the medical industry, bought them from overseas, sold them to medical facilities for a profit. That was the entire business plan of C&C Vending. The business had a couple of transactions, but really early on, the partnership soured and Craig number two bounced. Craig number one, Craig Rabinowitz, decided to keep the business, but he renamed it C&C Supplies. Meanwhile, Stephanie's career as an attorney is in full swing at the prestigious law firm she worked at. And as far as Stephanie was concerned, the relationship was wonderful. The couple bought a beautiful home in an upscale neighborhood known as the Main Line. And this is part of Lower Marion, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. And if you remember back to the Jim Webb episode, Lower Marion is where the General Wayne Inn is located. In May of 1996, the couple's baby girl, Haley, was born. As a new mom, Stephanie decided to drop down to part-time at the law firm, which meant Craig had to step up his game if he wanted to maintain his lifestyle in this affluent neighborhood. Craig wanted to start moving more of these latex gloves but he needed investors because they already had two mortgages on their mainline home and he didn't have a whole lot of money. So he started turning to Stephanie's family to invest in his company. 
Craig offered a really generous investment plan. He would pay back the original investment plus interest within six months and would pay out dividends in the interim. Stephanie's parents, Ann and Lou Newman, jumped at the chance. This was a great investment opportunity, and they trusted their son-in-law. Stephanie's brother also invested, as well as some family friends. This gave Craig the opportunity to have a bunch of shipping containers brought over from Malaysia full of latex gloves, and he could turn around and sell them for pretty much double his money. Now we have some background on the Rabinowitzes, and that brings us back to April 28th, 1997. On this day, Stephanie was planning her baby daughter's first birthday party, which was just five days away. Stephanie and Craig had dinner with Ann and Lou Newman that night for Passover. And then the little family went home to relax. Craig said they both had a drink. Craig went in his bedroom to watch a hockey game and Stephanie went to get in the tub. He heard a thud, but didn't really think anything of it. He thought it was that shampoo bottle. When Stephanie didn't come into the bedroom right away, he got nervous and went in to check on her. And that's where he found her unconscious in the tub. After the 911 call, the first policeman to show up on the scene was Officer James Driscoll of the Lower Marion Police Department. When Officer Driscoll entered the bathroom, he found Craig Rabinowitz kneeling in the tub full of water, cradling his wife's head. He instantly pulled Stephanie out of the bathtub and began CPR. Water poured from her nose and mouth. One thing that Officer Driscoll did not see, though, was any blood or any injury, any indication of what had caused Stephanie to drown. He started taking in the scene. He saw that Stephanie was wearing jewelry, including bracelets and a wristwatch. Her clothes were neatly folded in the corner of the bathroom. As he was doing CPR, Officer Driscoll heard a baby crying and told Craig to go take care of the child. Within minutes, paramedics and neighbors were on the scene. The Rabinowitz's neighbors took care of baby Haley so Craig could go to the hospital with his wife. Stephanie was pronounced dead upon arrival and the medical examiner was called to come examine the body. That was my dog that just barked. Her name's Lily. She's adorable, but she can't keep her mouth shut for too long. When the doctors informed Craig that his wife was dead, he immediately called her parents to come down to the hospital with him. Anne and Lou Newman were obviously distraught and just kind of collapsed in grief. 
They wanted Stephanie's body to be released right away because Jewish tradition dictates that a dead loved one needs to be buried before the next sundown. So Stephanie's parents were adamant that the medical examiner release her body to the funeral home right away. The medical examiner was not on board with this, though. He insisted on an autopsy. And although Ann and Lou were very upset by this, they really didn't have a choice. It wasn't up to them. The medical examiner made his decision, and that was that. So the body was then sent to the morgue for an autopsy. Five or six hours passed before the examination began. And in that time, some bruises began to be visible on Stephanie's body. The medical examiner quickly noticed that petechiae was visible around Stephanie's eyes. And petechiae are like pinhole size red marks where the blood vessels have ruptured under the skin. And that occurs due to strangulation most of the time. The doctor also noted that Stephanie had bruises on her elbows and knees that indicated to him there had been some kind of a struggle. When her stomach contents were analyzed, it was clear that Stephanie died long before Craig had called 911. Based on what the doctor knew she had eaten for dinner and how much of it was digested, he knew that she died between 9.30 and 10.30 on April 28th, but Craig did not call 911 until after midnight on the 29th. When the toxicology report came back from Stephanie's autopsy, it showed that she had taken Ambien and about three times the recommended dose for an adult of Ambien, the sleeping medication. The investigators knew immediately when they received this autopsy report that Stephanie Rabinowitz did not die of an accidental drowning. She was murdered. And they instantly knew who their prime suspect was, Craig Rabinowitz. They had to start investigating him and looking into his life more closely. The first thing investigators wanted to do was lock Craig into his story. He was not informed that police knew Stephanie had been murdered. They needed to get Craig's story on paper signed so that he could not go back on it. He told police that after dinner, they'd come home, they had a drink, he locked up the house, he went and watched hockey, he found Stephanie in the tub. With his admission that he was the only person in the house besides Stephanie, the victim, and Haley, the baby, they had now just gotten him to admit that he had to be the killer. Just a couple days into the investigation, police got an anonymous tip that they should really look into Craig's activities at an upscale strip club called Delilah's Den. 
And if you didn't already hate this motherfucker, you're going to seriously fucking hate him now. I do realize that I just terribly mispronounced anonymously. I didn't enunciate and I think it came out anonymously. But I just don't feel like redoing that sentence. It's these 16-ounce Keystone Lights. What can I say? So investigators went to Delilah's den to find out what kind of skeevy shit Craig was up to. What they found was that he was spending up to $3,000 a week in the strip club on one single stripper named Summer. Well, her stripper name was Summer. Her real name was Shannon Reiner. Craig was at Delilah's Den nearly every day, getting private dances from Summer in the champagne room. Summer, a.k.a. Shannon Reiner, said that they did not have a sexual relationship. They didn't have a relationship outside of Delilah's Den. Shannon said Craig was a good customer, but he certainly wasn't her best customer. Men showered her with money and gifts all the time. This wasn't anything new for her. Shannon admitted that Craig had bought her diamond earrings and $8,500 worth of furniture. And on Valentine's Day of 1997, Craig bought her a string of pearls. Out of everything I know about this case, that pisses me off the most. Craig Rabinowitz bought his fake stripper girlfriend a fucking string of pearls for Valentine's Day. It hasn't been reported what he bought his wife for Valentine's Day, but I guarantee it wasn't a fucking string of pearls, that scumbag. Police also found on Craig's credit card records nights that he had spent in a hotel where he got room service for two. Shannon swore that that wasn't her in those rooms with him, but police call bullshit on that, really, and so do I. Investigators also found a case from 1993 where Craig was caught up in a prostitution sting. He had been running with these prostitutes, having them in his home, in his wife's bed, and he got busted. But he turned state's evidence and he got immunity for his testimony but although he got immunity, the shit was still on record because he testified in open court. It's unknown whether or not Stephanie knew about the 1993 prostitute bullshit. But it's pretty obvious that she put up with a lot of bullshit from him. Did she know about it and overlook it? Or did he fucking hide it from her because he's such a slimeball? If you can't tell, I fucking hate this guy. I don't say hate lightly, but I fucking hate this guy. Another trash bag thing that Craig did after Stephanie's death was 
two days after she died, he took her heirloom jewelry and pawned it for $2,200. This was jewelry she had gotten from her grandmother. So I mentioned earlier that both Stephanie and Craig came from observant Jewish families. And one thing that practicing Jews do is to sit Shiva after a loved one dies. And that means you spend seven days in your home, no television, no phone, no windows, no mirrors. And Craig left his home during Shiva to go fucking pawn her jewelry. Trash bag. Based on all this slimy business, investigators were able to get a search warrant to do a second, more thorough search of the Rabinowitz home. In the bedroom closet, there was a little crawl space hidden by a false wall. And in that crawl space, they found a plastic grocery bag with papers in it. Here they found the receipts for the furniture, the diamond earrings, the pearl necklace that Craig had bought for summer. But they also found a handwritten ledger. On this ledger, Craig had written all the money he owed to his investors. And on the income side of the ledger, he had written all of the life insurance policies that Stephanie had with Craig as the beneficiary. With this discovery, police called in a forensic accountant named Rick Zayas. Rick poured over this ledger, as well as the Rabinowitz finances. And what he found was that Craig's business, CNC Supplies, had never bought or sold not one latex glove. Now, back when it was CNC vending, they did do a couple of transactions. But once Craig number two hit the road, douchebag Craig never actually did any more legitimate business after that. So this fabulous investment opportunity that Craig offered his in-laws and their friends was a complete fucking scam. He did pay out dividends here and there but they just came from more recent investors. So it was a Ponzi scheme. He was running a Bernie Madoff shit on his family. Well, not his family because he did not ask his wealthy family to invest. He didn't give a shit about Stephanie's family. He wasn't going to risk his own family's fortune. So Craig owed about $800,000 between his, well, Stephanie had known of two mortgages, but really he had three mortgages on his house. She didn't know about the third one. His credit card debt and what he owed to his investors. He owed about $800,000. Stephanie's life insurance policies between what 
she had personally and what the law firm that she worked for had in her name was about $1.5 million. So Craig stood to net about $700,000 and he decided he was going to cash in on that. He was going to pay everybody off. It was going to look like an accident. And he was going to live in the lap of luxury with his stripper girlfriend, Summer, a.k.a. Shannon Reiner. Craig was totally counting on the fact that his in-laws, Ann and Lou, were going to refuse an autopsy. Jewish tradition, like I said earlier, insists that a loved one should be buried before the next sundown and also not be embalmed. Had that happened, had the medical examiner not insisted on an autopsy, scumbag Craig might have gotten away with this. This medical examiner, his name is Dr. Ian Hood, and I want to high five him so much. Thank you for not letting a killer get away with murder. Craig Rabinowitz was obviously charged with murder and he pled not guilty. His trial was set to begin in October of 1997. But on the first day of trial, Craig came in and said that his deceased wife had come to him in a dream and convinced him to just plead guilty and let it all be over. The court accepted his guilty plea, and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Scumbag Craig never did say exactly what happened, but here's what investigators have deduced. Craig fell in love with a stripper named Summer. He thought they were going to be together. He couldn't afford this lifestyle that he wanted to live. And the only way to get himself out of this hole that he dug was to kill his wife. This investment scam began in October of 1996. So the end of April 1997 was the six-month deadline that he'd given everyone. By killing his wife, he bought himself some time. He's the grieving husband. By the time the life insurance comes through, he can pay off these debts and live high on the hog. So on that night, April 28th, 1997, he poured his wife a drink and he dosed her with Ambien. Now, this was his Ambien prescription, by the way. She did not have a prescription for Ambien. He dosed his wife with Ambien, waited for her to pass out. Then he put her in the bathtub, hoping she would just drown on her own. But she didn't. The water revived her and woke her up. And then he was fucked. So now he had to strangle her, and hold her under the water. This would have taken three to four minutes of her thrashing around, trying to save her own life, and wondering, why is my husband 
of seven years, my partner of 14 years, the man that I've trusted and built my life with doing this to me. But he eventually succeeded and she died. Her thrashing around in the bathtub is what gave her those bruises that Dr. Ian Hood found later. Craig strangling her, cutting off her airway is what gave her those petechial hemorrhages in and around her eyes. And he did all of this with his baby in the next room. He made his daughter Haley celebrate her first birthday without her mother. And then every other birthday after that. Just so he could live this imaginary life with a stripper who he thought was his girlfriend. What a disgusting, trash human. I don't know. Can you guys tell that I really don't like this guy at all? During an interview Craig did while in prison, he said that Stephanie emasculated and controlled him and made him feel like less of a man. He went on to say that if his appeals did go through and he got out of prison, the first thing he would do was go find Shannon, a.k.a. Summer. He wouldn't want to try to reconnect with his daughter or maybe go visit his wife's grave or hit himself in the head with a hammer like he should do. No, the first thing he wants to do is go try to reconnect with Shannon. Shannon never gave a shit about him. She liked the money that he spent on her. And this became obvious when she never spoke to him again after his wife's death. He has written her letters from prison and she has never once responded. I think that's ironically funny. Baby Haley was raised by Stephanie's mother, Anne, because sadly, Lou, Stephanie's father, died before the trial began. Haley has changed her last name to Newman, her mother's maiden name. And on Stephanie's headstone, it also says her maiden name, Stephanie Newman. Her parents opted not to put her married name on her final resting place. Trash bag human Craig Rabinowitz is serving out his life without parole sentence at Houtsdale State Correctional Institute in Pennsylvania. And I literally hope he's getting punched in the face on a daily basis. I got to admit, this story made me a little cranky. But I hope you guys liked it. So stay safe out there, you guys. Stay cool in the summer heat. Don't go spending thousands of dollars a week at a strip club. And don't murder your wife. Whatever you do, 
Stay keystone, my friends.